we're in a series called, uh, we're calling the breath of God. And we're looking at a scriptural approach to the Holy Spirit. And we've talked before how the Holy Spirit is so misunderstood. And uh, he is almost the forgotten God as we look at it. But the scriptures are chock full of everything there. We have talked about the birth of the church. We've talked about he, uh, he is the breath or wind of God. We talked about he wrote the scriptures using faithful uh, men and women. And so we want to look at this. So we're going to be in John chapter 7 in just a moment. But let me, uh, so to speak, whet your appetite here uh, as we get into this. There was a man who was stranded in the Sahara Desert. He, had, he was without water, he was all alone, the sun's beating down on him in the sand, and he de, he's dying of thirst, and he doesn't know what to do, he's crying out the best that he can, and eventually he sees a man on a camel coming through, and he yells at the man, and he said, I'm dying of thirst. He said, can you give me water? And the a guy with the camel said, I can't give you water. Uh, but I can give you a necktie. And uh, so the guy's thinking, I don't need a necktie. I, I'm dying of thirst. I need water. This is what I need. And he said, I can't help you, but I can sell you a necktie. I'll give it to you for four bucks or two for seven. And uh, the guy's thinking, this is crazy. I'm going to die out here. So the man in the camel uh, uh, rode off. And he's now he's on all fours, just crawling across the desert. And he comes upon a restaurant, of all things, out in the Sahara Desert. He's thinking, surely they have water in there. So he goes up to the door, and the um, person that welcomes you in at the restaurant is there. And his guy says, I'm dying of thirst. I need to come in and drink water. And the guy said, I'm sorry, we cannot serve you. Only people that wear a necktie are allowed in here. Now, uh, silly story, but I, Jesus is going to say, I am, I am the living water. I am the water. And uh, I think sometimes we're busy selling neckties instead of taking people to uh, Jesus who's the living water. And we're going to talk about this. This morning, when I uh, back in my football days, uh, I I remember <laughs> yeah oh man uh, back in my football days, I can remember uh, two days. I remember. It just seemed like in the 70s, they didn't have the uh, concern for health that they seem to have now. And so, you know, you would die of thirst out there, and they would give you basically ice cubes or something like that, and that would be it. And I, I remember uh, one particular day, just it, it just overwhelmed me, and I got lightheaded, and uh, growing up and so dehydration was setting in uh 
you know, dehydration, some of you have struggled with it before, but uh, dehydration can lead to some severe uh, complications, such as seizures, swelling of the brain, kidney failure, shock, coma, and even death. And some of the preliminary signs of dehydration are headaches or dizziness or lightheadedness. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. When I look at the church in America today, I'm afraid that we are suffering from a spiritual dehydration. How do I see that? Well, I see it in the symptoms that we're viewing. Um, I, I want to list four for you. These are signs of spiritual dehydration to me. Number one, a lack of drive for spiritual things. A lack of drive for the word, for worship, for just the things of Christ. And I know I'm preaching to the choir, right? Because you're here today. But I wonder how many times do you come because your heart is on fire for God or is it just routine and habit? Here's the second sign of spiritual dehydration that I see. Self-centered instead of others-centered. Self-centered. What's in it for me? Am I happy? Is this going to make me happy? Instead of being others-centered. And we see marriages struggle because uh, a couple is not willing to mutually submit to one another. And what happens is we get self-centered instead of other-centered. We see families implode. We see relationships get fractured. We see the loss go unsaved because we're more self-centered than other-centered. Here's a third sign of spiritual dehydration. We resemble the culture's pattern instead of a biblical example of what God expects his church to look like. We become uh, after the pattern of the world instead of the pattern that Christ has for us. I see uh, so many believers dealing with anxiety and worry and moral decay and the pattern of the world just crashes in on them. And one more sign of spiritual dehydration. No life vitality. And here's what I mean by that. We hold to a code of conduct. But the world knows that. And the, the way they see Christians in our culture is, oh, they're against that, they're, they don't do that, they're against that, they don't do that. And that's the way they see us. And it's not attractive at all to just keep a code of conduct. But where is the life? And uh, Paul told Timothy that, that in the end times, they will hold to a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. And I'm wondering if that's not the day we live in. So, let's look at the scriptures, because you're with me, this spiritual dehydration. And I'm 
John chapter 7, verse 37 through verse 44. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this is he said that now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet as the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. Now, I want to try to understand, for you to understand this last day of the feast. Now, that may seem strange to you, but the basic Jew, especially the Jewish males, there were three feasts that they needed to come to Jerusalem. So Jerusalem would blow up to tens of thousands of people all of a sudden because these Jews would come from outside to the feast that was there. There were three uh, required feasts. One was Passover, and we know Passover was when the uh, Jews came out of Egypt and Moses and that kind of thing, Passover. Number two was Pentecost. Pentecost uh, celebrating uh, the law being given through uh, Moses. And then the third one was the Feast of Tabernacle. Now that's the feast that Jesus is out at, at this point. And it not only says on the last day of the feast, it calls it the great day. And I'm going to try to get you to understand this because what Jesus is about to say is going to coincide with this feast that's going on. Okay, so hang with me. Uh, these three feasts had a historical past focus. They had a current focus and they had a future focus. Let me uh, let you understand about the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles, they uh, it would be a picture of God's provision when they were wandering around in the desert, how they lived in tents. In fact, there's a picture that I got you of a modern-day uh, Sukkot or, or uh, a a, a covering that they would make today. You can tell there's electric lights in it, but uh, it's open. It would be created. Now, the Feast of Tabernacle, whereas Passover and Pentecost are more solemn, the Feast of Tabernacle would be, woo, we're going to party. And so that's what they're doing. They would stay out of those uh, tents. In fact, Sukkot is next weekend actually, in Israel. So you can know that. So it had a past picture about the provision of God. It had a current 
at the time of Jesus in that it was a time of celebration for the ingathering, the harvest. It was also a time when the rainy season was going to come so that you would pray for rain, and there was a specific way that they would pray for rain. And then there's a future picture. You ready for this? We as Christians, when we see Passover and we see Pentecost and we see the tabernacle, Passover would be referring to our salvation, the blood of Christ, and the Pentecost would uh, be resembling the Holy Spirit coming down. And the end gathering is at the end of time when Jesus returns to end gather his church. So you can see in these feasts and festivals that God had a past, a present, and a future picture that he was uh, bringing forth. So, what is, how did it look for these tens of thousands of people? The feast lasted eight days, okay? Uh, originally it was seven, but by the time Jesus came, it was eighth day. I don't know if they're hangovers or what, Tim. <laughs> but they added uh, eighth day. They built tents to allow the sun in and to see the stars at night. They would take palm branches and citrus fruit, just thanking God, praising God for uh, his provision. But there was one thing that would happen every day. What happened is, is that the priest would leave the altar and he would go across the uh, temple mount. He'd go down the steps through the water gate to the pool of Siloam. He would take a gold pitcher. He would scoop up water. Remember, they're praying for rain. He would come back through the water gate up the temple mount, come to the altar, walk around the altar once, and the people would, whether they would shout it or sing it, would be Isaiah 12, 3. And Isaiah 12, 3 says this, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So it's a celebratory time. And the priest would come and he would take that pitcher and pour it at the altar and uh, the people would pray for rain. And so it was a great celebration. But on the last day of the feast, what would happen is, and Jesus has been teaching uh, uh, on the Temple Mount all this week, but he, the priest would go down off the Temple Mount through the water gate, pull a Siloam. He would get water, come back up. The people would shout Isaiah 12, 3, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And then he would walk around the altar Seven times. Well, what seven times it, it, it represents Jericho and what took place that God provided there. The people would shout their verse and, and sing it out. And then what he would do, he would, after seven times, he would pour the water out. And the scripture says, now, I don't know, I, I can only imagine in my mind's eye that there is a moment of silence as he pours the water and the people are about to explode with joy. And somehow in the midst of that pouring, Jesus stands up on the Temple Mount and he begins to speak. 
how he got tens of thousands of, of people's attention, God only knows. But I think there was a moment of silence. He steps up and he cries out and he, he shrieks for thousands to hear. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And he was referring to the Holy Spirit. And so, I think that Jesus is saying, listen, I am the fount of living water. And you're crying out for rain. There's no problem in crying out for rain. But you're missing. You're selling neckties instead of realizing who is in your presence right now. I want you to know that same Spirit of God is here today. So, I want to look at a couple of things in this passage as we look at it. Jesus cries out because he is the true source of life. Religious rituals are not going to do it. Uh, they had the fountain of life here, but they were looking for temporary things. One of my favorite words in all of Scripture, you ready for this? Anyone. I think it's a great word. The Greek word for anyone is anyone. I mean, it's just anyone. And I love that verse. Not rich or poor, not a certain ethnicity, not educated, uneducated, uh, not religious, non-religious, not male or female. Anyone, anyone is welcome. And Jesus said, if anyone, if anyone, and then he says this, if anyone thirst, thirst, if we're going to receive the living water, we need to thirst. And, and you're thinking, what does that really mean? Jesus even said in the Beatitudes, hunger and thirst for righteousness and you will be satisfied. You see, we don't seem to be that thirsty today because we cut our thirst on so much of the world. But if you're going to come to the living water, you got to admit that you're thirsty. Well, Mark, what does that look like? I love you enough to say this. We're all screwed up. We're all messed up because of sin. And we have to come to the realization that we are in need. And what bothers me so much is to see people go through so much junk. And I'm thinking, okay, they're going to hit the bottom and they're going to start crying out to God. Only to see that I thought was bottom, they're going to go a little farther. And I'm thinking... Why, why are you not crying out to God? But this is what Jesus said. He said, if anyone thirst, and then second of all, he says this, if anyone thirst and, and come to me, and come to me, we must be willing, and this is where so many struggle today, we must be willing to leave our familiar security to come to Jesus. How many people are just staying in the, in the stagnant quagmire they're, they're in because it's so familiar? 
And they're not willing to come to Jesus as the source. And he says, thirst, come. And then he says this, drink. He says, drink. Thirst, come and drink. You must do more than just seeking. There ought to be a faith step that you take to do this drinking. You remember the rich young ruler in scripture? If you don't, let me give you the highlights. A wealthy young man comes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He was thirsty. He came to Jesus, right? And Jesus gives him an answer. Oh, I've kept those laws since I was a young man. And then Jesus said, one thing you lack, go and sell all you have and give it to the poor. And this uh, young man turns and walks away because he couldn't handle the drinking part. He was thirsty, he came to Jesus, but he didn't drink. And I love what the scripture says. It says that Jesus loved him. I, I love that because Jesus loves even the rejecter of him. And some of you are wondering if Jesus loves you. He loves the one that rejects him. And so why will he not love you? And so we see that if we're going to come and participate in this living water, we have to come, we have to thirst, we have to come, and we have to drink. We have to trust. And notice what Jesus said. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The word heart is almost not the correct translation. It literally means out of his belly. Some of you look like that. Out of his belly, inner, out of his inmost being, will flow these rivers of living water. And note, he did not say you will be a reservoir. He did not say you will be a pond that just has water in it. He says you will be a river of living water. You will be a flow. You will be a conduit. See, many people have come to Christ. They've thirsted. They've come and they've drank a little bit but they've become a pool that's stagnant I, I i see many christians today that have the demeanor like they were baptized in lemon juice or something they are arrogant or complainers or entitled or self-centered and the world doesn't want to have anything to do with christ because of that picture we give them and it says out of his inner being will come rivers of what living water at pentecost you ready at pentecost the holy spirit became available for every believer you see in the old testament prophets priests kings right and in the new testament acts chapter 2 brett spoke about this a few weeks ago that the holy spirit came for every man. Those 120 were up there praying. And they I don't think they even knew what they were praying for. They just needed God's presence. And as they prayed. The Holy Spirit came upon that 120. And it, take, it took them from cowards 
to courage. It took them from uh, an inability to even stand by God to ones that would be world changers. Let me tell you, the Holy Spirit is available for us today. You can't even be saved without the Holy Spirit. So here's the practical application today. What does living water do? What did it do for them? What does it do for us? Three things. Number one, it brings life. It brings life. Where there's death, living water brings life. You've you've seen it a little bit. Uh, The rain we got two weeks ago, and uh, I can prophesy it will eventually rain again. I don't know when, but... uh, but the little rain we got, your yard just, trees start budding and these kind of things. And little rain does that. And, and as long as we have breath, we can hope and say, oh God, by your spirit, bring life to me. In, uh, in Chile, the country of Chile, there is a desert called the Atacama uh, a desert, and uh, there's a picture of the desert. Every so many years, deserts get some rain, but every so many years, it's like every five years, the desert there in Chile, which is supposed to be one of the driest, most arid places in the world, receives a little rain and all of a sudden, it becomes beautiful with the colors. And that's a picture of the a desert after it has bloomed. It's a super bloom. All of a sudden, that takes place right there. But isn't it interesting that in this most arid, dry place, that there were seeds just ready for water to set them to growth? I'm, I'm here to tell you, There's a bunch of seeds in this room just ready for God's living water and to see what he will bring forth in you. So number one, it brings life. Number two, it refreshes. We see in a physical sense how rain refreshes. The spirit brings encouragement and and lifts our countenance and In Acts 3.19, I love this verse. It says, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. There's a refreshing that comes from the Spirit of God the living water. He wants to refresh you. He wants to bring you life. He wants your, uh, he wants you to, uh, the word is winsome, attractive, so that the world looks at you and doesn't see judgment or doesn't see what you stand for or not stand for. They see life of God coming from you. One other. Well, let me back up just a second and, and say this because it, 
It's just on my mind. Burnout is a term we hear all the time. You burn out in your job. You burn out uh, relationally. You burn out different ways. And why do you burn out? Uh, there's many different reasons. But I believe we are really prone to spiritual burnout if we do not receive continually the conduit of the living water coming forth from us. So, number three, the living water, it cleanses. You know, there's nothing like a shower after yard work and working in the heat, and you come in and just take that shower and get clean. The living water of the Holy Spirit brings us cleansing and washing from the things that we cling to that are unclean. I don't know about you. I, yeah, I do. Uh, because I know me. Daily, this world, I, I handle things, I see things, I deal with things that are unclean. And I daily need to come to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, give me clean hands and pure heart. Let me not lift my soul to another. And, and we see how he brings the living water of cleansing and washing upon us. Just like that rain of shower. So, it brings life. It refreshes. It, it uh, cleanses. I wonder if today that doesn't sound attractive to you. But Jesus stood up and he said, if anyone, if anyone who is thirsty will come to me and drink, out of him will flow rivers of living water. I want to ask the worship team to come back up because I want to land this plane. I'm going to ask you three questions that I want you to uh, consider and contemplate. First question is this. Are you holding to a form of godliness, but you actually have no power? Are you holding to a form of godliness? And by that, I mean religiosity, you know, code of conduct. Are you holding to a code of conduct, but there's no power in your life? I, I ask the question even more personal, central. Are we guilty of running programs and religious stuff, and there is no power. I pray not, but I got to ask that question. Second question is this. Do you need to admit today that you are spiritually dehydrated and you need the living water? Do you need to admit today that you are spiritually dehydrated and you need the living water? It all begins, notice Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, are you thirsty today? Are you thirsty for God to do something in your life? Are you thirsty for that freshness? And then third question that I have for you is this. What's holding you back from drawing near to Christ today. I believe he is still calling people that are thirsty. 
not selling neckties. He is wanting to give the living water. What's holding you back from drawing near to Christ today? Pastor Tony Evans tells a story about growing up in Baltimore. I love Tony Evans, man. He grew up in Baltimore as a little kid that they would often come to his neighborhood and they would take the fire hydrants and open them up and it just would give a spray of water and all the kids would get to play in it. Some of you may remember those days. But Tony Evans was able to do that. He came and he asked his dad, he said, Dad, what really is a fire hydrant? And his dad began to explain and he said, the, the fire hydrant is just a cap and it's connected to a pipe and that pa- pipe is attached to a water source so the fire hydrant is just a conduit of the reservoir of water that's wanting to come out. In other words, the fire hydrant and the pipe are just there. It's the water. And so if there is a problem, the water source is the problem and not the conduit. And some of you will, this will make sense. How how many of you have gone to get your water hose and you've stretched it out and uh, you're going to water something and you cut on the water and it doesn't work? Oh, isn't that frustrating? And then you go back and you notice there's a kink in your hose. And the kink, you have to let go. Be careful about holding it like this as you undo the kink. But you undo the kink and what the water just flows. I wonder today if some of us don't need to unkink our hose so that God will come in fullness in our lives. I was praying this morning and, you know, we're about to celebrate 30 years as a church. And next week we're going to celebrate and Pam and I have had the joy of being here for all the years and uh, I was just thinking what is it that I miss that was present 30 years ago and that's a strange question what is it I miss that 30 years ago is not really such a priority in my life and I was, I was thinking with the Lord, this is what I came up with. My desperation. 30 years ago, I was desperate. I was so desperate for God. God, if you do not come through, these doors are not going to be open. God, if you don't come through, we're not going to make it. God, we're desperate for you. Now we got buildings, we got air conditioner, we got everything. But I'm not sure I'm desperate. I ask your forgiveness. Because if I'm not desperate, you're not going to get desperate. 
God, we need you. We live in a day where the world is turning its back on you and we're your bride, we're the church, we're the conduits of living water, but we've got to become desperate for 